2: Hello and welcome back to this one's a doozy. I'm Kevin
1: and I'm Haley
2: and we talk about stories of mystery true crime and folklore of the unusual unsettling and oftentimes unsavory goings on of our world today yesterday and long ago. That yes. was all one breath that I started it. with less air than I usually do. I am I plan ahead.
1: You didn't take that pre it's, it's run-on it's sentence. Exactly breath. I wasn't
2: I wasn't specifically <laughs> ready for that.
1: So Next time in the middle just be delivering the opening phrases and then just be like, <gasps> in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for a little comedic relief. Oh my
2: gosh, yeah. Very professional. Oh man. Well, we are back with part two of of The murder story. of Betsy
1: Faria. Yes. Yes.
2: And uh, right out of the gate, before we even talk about the other stuff that is critical for people to hear about, which is what We're drinking, and the fun fact before we get into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if you have not listened to part one, you need to go back because it is uh bonkers, if I do say so myself.
1: Yes, I laid a- as much groundwork as I could that made sense to mm-hmm. for the first part. Uh,
2: yes, and I feel like and it's you necessary, painted, you painted a very vivid picture. And uh yeah. Thank so I'm you. I'm all here for it. But I just I feel like it, it's it's worth making the point. If you are skipping through episodes and you or even just accidentally skipped part one and you're here on part two, you you need to stop what you're doing right now. This and minute. Fix this problem and go back to part one because <laughs> it, it really does lay a, a really good foundation for I mean, I don't know what's coming next, but uh, but I'm, it's a coming. I'm here for it. I'm ready for part two. Yeah, my brain Good. is is all in, and yes. Yay! I'm well, I'm glad feelings. you're ready. Yeah. With that being said, the important question: yes. What are you drinking?
1: So I'm going to be boring because okay. we're blast recording both of these episodes in the same night. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm drinking the same drink as I was drinking in part one, and that is an apple cider tea from Tiavana. Mm-hmm. It's like an herbal tea. And I added some caramel to it. The whipped cream melted into mm-hmm. it. So now it's just kind of this like barrage of cream and the tea mixture. It's really good. And I also got an ice water cause I'm a little bit parched.
2: Yeah. So just to be clear, you, you didn't just make the same drink a second time. This is still the original drink.
1: Yeah. I, I put it in the microwave. <laughs>
2: uh. Oh my gosh. And, yes. and, and just just so the world knows, how often do you uh, have a drink last more than two hours?
1: Every day of my <laughs> life since I was probably born.
2: Oh, that was unfair. I'd set you up for that. I'm sorry. You did. I, I do love you That's though. It's a little and it's fun endearing. fact. Yes. It's
1: a little fun fact. Yes. Well, and I'm not alone. That's a very common thing. That's why I always go for cold drinks. Yeah. Because it stays mostly the same temperature. Like room temperature from cold I feel like it's less staggering than room temperature from hot. Yeah, that's true. That's a personal opinion. I
2: feel that. I think I, I, I think you're right about that. Yeah. And depending on what kind of cup you have it in, if you got one of those nice Yeti cups, mm. then you can you know, best. keep it one way or the other longer.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, what are you drinking?
2: Well, uh, last several episodes, I've gotten some really fancy drinks I've gotten for Christmas, mm-hmm. and I've been sharing those, and I still have more of them. But yeah, so I've been feeling like, you know, I've been re- basically reviewing drinks last yeah. uh, several episodes. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of go back to the the commoner drinks that I usually would have.
1: The more commoner?
2: Yes. I uh, decided to go with a Fireball Coca-Cola tonight. Tried and true. Just tried and true. And yeah, it'll follow that uh, Nebraska Brewing Company beer, I'm sure. Not well, but
1: you will <laughs> regret it later.
2: Possibly, or I will love it. It's fine. Or we'll I mean, put you to
1: I, sleep because we're old now.
2: Yeah, it's true. To be fair, the these really space out for a long time. I'm not binge drinking all night long. I'm literally right. having a drink and then over an hour and a half later, having a second drink. <laughs> right, so <laughs> that's true. That's true. Good point. Yeah, but do you have? Another feel good fact for us.
1: I do. Oh yes.
2: I love feel good facts. Me
1: too. So a car dealership in Brazil hired a stray dog. When a huh. <laughs> yeah. When a Hyundai dealership noticed a local stray dog that would regularly come in looking for food and some pats, the owner Emerson Mariano adopted the dog and hired him as a quote professional consultant. Professional
2: consultant. <laughs>
1: he named the dog Tucson after the model of car that was most loved at his dealership. And Tucson can be seen on the dealership's Instagram. And he's known and loved for providing top-tier customer service. Oh,
2: my gosh.
1: Great job, Tucson.
2: Wow, Tucson. Great job. <laughs> that is that is very feel-good.
1: It's so cute. And the whole staff just, like, loved this dog, even yeah. before Emerson adopted.
2: Yeah. <laughs> they just loved it. So he's like, you know what? <laughs> just a stray. They kept coming around just enough. Yep. To the right person. Made we- a
1: good impression. Uh-huh. And now he's a professional consultant.
2: Professional <laughs> consultant
1: it's hard to Andy say and he has a home and he has a home and a family and he's loved and he's Aww. appreciated and he has a social media presence
2: mm-hmm. yeah he's good a celebrity job. honestly yeah so wow
1: yeah i thought that one was nice That is cute. good
2: i love that do you know what their instagram handle is i don't okay i'll
1: try and put it in the show notes if i can find it that'd be fun yeah good idea
2: get <laughs> a bunch of new followers <laughs> what happened
1: <laughs> <laughs> they probably get a bunch of new followers all the time because it's adorable that's
2: true that is pretty cute all right well now that you've uh, lifted us up why don't you go ahead and slam us back down with the cold hard facts of the rest of this story part two
1: all right you got it bud okay so where we left off in part one a missouri man by the name of russ faria had just been sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murder of his wife betsy Evidence revealed that Betsy had been stabbed in their home 55 times. Hmm. Immediately and with very minimal actual investigative work, Lincoln County police had made up their mind that Russ had committed the brutal murder in order to cash in early on a $150,000 life insurance policy. But as the defense would reveal, the evidence in this case not only demonstrated that Russ didn't commit this crime, but that there was no feasible way that he even could have. With Russ behind bars, his attorney and a local news reporter began to spread the word about this botched investigation and absolute joke of a trial. In the days, months, and years after Russ's trial, evidence would come to light and events would unfold that would lead everyone closer to discovering the truth, but not before more innocent blood would be shed. Oh, no. Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So we're going to kick things off by talking about Pam. Pamela Hupp was born Pamela Newman on October 10, 1958 in Delwood, Missouri. She was the third of four kids and her parents raised them in a pretty strict Catholic household. Growing up, Pam was described as being fun and usually laughing. Hmm. She was a decent student and had lots of friends, but her life would change forever when she found out that her high school boyfriend had gotten her pregnant during her senior year of high school. Her friends would note that it was around this time that they were all like headed off to college and going off on the next adventure that Pam's personality took a little bit of a shift. Hmm. There seemed to be a level of resentment towards her friends that like got to go and be young and free while she was chilling at home alone with the baby. Yeah, The two would quickly get married and would welcome their daughter together, but after six years of marriage, they got divorced. Hmm. Shortly after her divorce was finalized, Pam met a man named Mark Hupp a laid-back minor league baseball player, and the two hit it off. When Mark wasn't drafted into the majors, he pursued work in carpentry. They would also welcome a son together. By all accounts, Pam and Mark had a solid marriage. They moved to Florida for a while, but made their way back to Missouri in 2001, where they settled in the town of O'Fallon, and that's where Pam began working in the insurance field, and the Hups also flipped
2: houses. Hmm.
1: That's around the time that she also met Betsy.
2: Yeah. That is a good time in history to pick up flipping houses. Yeah. No My joke. My goodness. 2001.
1: <gasps> yeah. No kidding. Pam's employers noted that she had a logical brain and was very competent in her work and that she had a knack for understanding policy. For the most part, she was a good worker, but she would make these odd comments implying that she worked for the FBI and would act all like secretive when she would get asked certain questions. Which was weird, obviously, but relatively harmless, I suppose.
2: Yeah, maybe just like a quirk. hmm Yeah, okay.
1: In multiple jobs that Pam had, she would get in conflicts with certain coworkers that she would like butt heads with, and mm-hmm. it would get a little bit out of hand sometimes. Another oddity was that the cars in the employee parking lot at this specific insurance company were getting keyed, and oh. so were cars in Pam and Mark's nice, safe little corner of suburbia. Neighbors of Pam would also get these threatening notes, but nobody really took them all that seriously, and so it never got reported. Weird. There were two jobs in the insurance field that Pam had been fired from due to forgery, and eventually she would land at her local state farm branch, and that is where she met Betsy, who was already working there when Pam got hired.
2: Man, I can't believe someone gets fired for forgery and is able to get another job.
1: I should probably say it was suspicion of forgery. Uh, Okay. But, like, if you read the two accounts, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. There's some forgery going on <laughs> very clearly.
2: Wow. Okay. So,
1: Betsy and Pam did get along pretty well, despite being, like, a little bit, like, photo negatives of each other. Like, Pam was kind of quiet and reserved, whereas Betsy was, like, the queen of being an includer mm-hmm. and always being so fun and extroverted and bubbly. Yeah. For whatever reason, their friendship worked. Hmm. They did spend quite a bit of time together, but they did lose touch over the years. During this time, Pam suffered an injury that caused her to retire and also led to her earning disability, which that will come up again. Hmm. When it was learned that Betsy had cancer, Pam reached out and the two reconnected. And though she didn't go on Betsy's Celebration of Life cruise, they would spend almost every day together once Betsy got back from her trip. Hmm. Pam would regularly take her to and from her chemo appointments. She would join her on her tennis outings because Betsy loved tennis Hmm. and would drop just about anything if Betsy needed something, which sounds nice, Yeah, but it starts looking shady really quickly. According to Pam, and she testified to this when the jury was not in the courtroom and she expressed this to police, Betsy had been concerned about her life insurance policy. Her husband and two daughters were the beneficiaries of the policy, and -hmm. she had concerns that since the girls were young, and since Russ had previously struggled with financial responsibility earlier in their marriage, Betsy was concerned that when they would get the money, that they would blow it. Hmm. And that, you know, she really just wanted this policy to take care of them when she was gone. That was her intention for it. This is according to Pam.
2: Okay. Because she has cancer and... So she's thinking about these things. Life. Yeah. Okay.
1: She's trying to plan it well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, in the days following this conversation, Pam got a great idea. She suggested to Betsy that she should be named the sole beneficiary on the life insurance policy. What? And that she would make sure that the girls would get the money. Foolproof. I can see no way how that could go oh, wrong. My. Mind you, this is $150,000. Yeah. And so on December 22nd, Pam and Betsy made their way to the library where Betsy changed the name of the beneficiary to Pamela Hupp and had the librarian sign off as the witness. The two then went to the post office together to mail out the form. Mind you, Betsy had been through the ringer. She had regularly been enduring intense chemo treatments, which those take a huge toll on you, like physically, physically, Mentally, Mm -hmm. emotionally, it's so draining, so exhausting. She's also on a bunch of medications. Like, right. right. It would be very easy to argue that Mm. there should have been somebody else. At the very least, there should have been somebody else present. Yeah. Because even though Betsy was an extremely competent person who could think for herself, she was also in a very vulnerable season of life. Right. So... I don't trust that even from even just that bit. I don't trust. So yeah, yeah, I I, I don't like it
2: there. I'm, I'm just kind of like shocked that someone unrelated would get that kind of a benefit. Like Mm -hmm. there, there are so many ways to do uh, an insurance policy and a will that basically like, like lock finances away for Mm -hmm. such and such a time like
1: and that's sort of what Pam said she would do
2: right but you don't don't need someone like that to do that
1: she basically said I will set up trust a trust for them and that once I'm able to see that they're ready and responsible then they'll get access to the money and I won't be able to touch it once it's in those accounts and I'll set up the trust as soon as you pass away
2: yeah so there's a lot of trust happening between Betsy and Pam Mm mm-hmm uh, but once again, I don't think and I could be, I could be wrong. You know, I've, I've never had a trust fund. So true. <laughs> but like, uh, I
0: feel like you don't need
2: to have somebody be named the beneficiary in order for them to set up a trust fund. I think you can just set it up in yeah, the event I don't that, know. like, so there's, there's a lot of like I mean, I feel like I use this word a lot in the last episode, but there's a lot of manipulation happening now in a different way. Yes, 100%. Yeah, I have weird feelings about that. I don't like that at all. Yeah,
1: Hmm. yeah. So the night before Betsy's murder, she had stayed with her mother, Janet, at her home, which was closer to the office where her chemo appointment would take place. The original plan that Betsy had made for this day was that Pam would go to the appointment with her, but plans changed. Betsy's longtime friend and her childhood babysitter, Bobby Wan, had reached out. And so Betsy, who was super excited at the chance to catch up with a friend, Mm -hmm. decided to have Bobby take her instead. Mm. Betsy texted Pam to let her know the change of plans, to which Pam replied with only one word. Bummer. Bummer. What? It's a bummer that your friend with cancer wants to see another friend besides you. That she hasn't seen in a long time. That she's known her whole life. Bummer. Yeah, that's
2: a weird reaction. That's a
1: weird reaction. I don't
2: like that And maybe
1: it wouldn't be if everything else about Pam wasn't so weird. So Pam went over to Janet's house and told her that she was there to pick up Betsy. As if she didn't already know that the plans had changed. Janet told her that she and Bobby had already left. But she was sure that Betsy had already told Pam that she didn't need her for this appointment. Mm -hmm. Janet's like, yeah, I know Betsy, I was sitting right here when she texted you that yeah. the plans had changed. But like, OK, so like a totally normal person, she drove to the Siteman Center where Betsy was receiving her chemo and just let herself in and plop down with Betsy and Bobby. Oh, Bobby would later recall that Betsy was extremely surprised to have seen Pam. But in true Betsy fashion, she welcomed her into the conversation. She's like, oh, what are you doing here? OK, all right. Come mm-hmm. on in. Let's have fun. You mm-hmm. know, this is fine. Come and join us. So after the appointment, Pam went to dinner with her husband and then offered Betsy a ride home. Betsy initially declined and said that Russ would do it because it was pretty far out of the way for Pam. But Pam insisted that she'd take her home because she needed the rest. So Betsy relented and thanked her friend for her help. She was exhausted from her treatment Mm -hmm. and doctors had told her that she really needed to take it easy until her white blood cell count would go up. Yeah. She gave Russ the go-ahead to do his usual Tuesday stuff, and you know the details of that already. Yeah. Pam dropped Betsy off at her house around 7 p.m. Cell phone records would later show that Pam had called Betsy at 7:27 p.m. and that she was still in Troy, just a minute or two away from the Faria's home at that time. Meanwhile, Russ was more than 20 minutes away and watching movies with his friends. So just like mm-hmm. to remind you, the estimated time of death is somewhere around 7.20, but mm-hmm. likely not after 7.20. Right. So just throwing that out there. Wow. The morning after Betsy's murder on the 28th, police arrived at Pam Hupp's home around 6.40 a.m. to ask her some questions. Immediately, Pam's story was fishy, and there were multiple times where she changed her story completely over the course of this and other conversations. Oh. <gasps> So when they arrived, Pam answered the door and she had just gotten out of the shower, like wet hair, all that. Mm -hmm. She told investigators that she brought Betsy home at 7 p.m., drove home, watched TV with her husband, took a shower and then went to bed, Mm -hmm. which is maybe this is just me. I find it a little strange that she took two showers within like 10 hours. Yeah. Between the two. Maybe that's maybe that's only weird to me. I don't know, but she said that when they had arrived to the Faria's house, that it was very dark, uh, but the front door was unlocked. Hmm. She told officers that Russ must have been home early because she saw a silver Nissan in the driveway. Russ was driving the blue Ford Explorer, but like, okay,
2: Hmm.
1: She later said that she maybe even saw the blue Explorer after all, but maybe not.
2: There is a whole lot of just bad memory going on here at best Mm -hmm. this is all over the place
1: yes either way russ had to have been in the home waiting in the dark for his wife according to pam (laughs) at first she said that she just dropped her off and never went inside but then she said that she had gone into the home even into the bedroom that russ and betsy shared (laughs) so in this version of events when the two women went inside it was dark but Betsy proudly welcomed her in so that she could show her the new jewelry cabinet that Russ had bought for her for Christmas that was sitting in their bedroom. Which, this cabinet would be discovered to be damaged and broken after Betsy's murder. But it was a brand new Christmas gift and in pristine condition on the morning of the murder. Like, earlier in the day.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Oh. So, she felt the need to mention the jewelry cabinet, which I thought was, hmm.
2: Yes. So, a lot of, hmm, moments. Well, and it's it sounds like she... She is telling a story and omitting things. And then when she realizes, oh, shoot, they might have my fingerprint or might have my this or that or whatever. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, and also this. Just in case. Just in case you see something Mm -hmm. like it's not fishy. I was there Yeah, (laughs) like it's like this.
1: Or if like neighbors saw Betsy being mm-hmm. walked into the house with a friend.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of just bad stories. Because she doesn't telling. know what they know because it's been right.
1: less than 24 right. hours. It's been like 12 hours.
2: Right. Which adding more and more to your story as you go or as you are like re, re, uh, recalling it, mm-hmm. going back and re-adding and, oh yeah, this and oh yeah, that. Like that's like right. a telltale sign for like third graders. <laughs> <laughs> like <Yeah>. You're lying. <laughs> so- yes. Oh, okay. Okay. So
1: Russ did not come out and greet Pam at any time that she was there on that night. Mm -hmm. Pam said that just before she left, Betsy was cozying up on the couch with the blanket, but then would later say that Betsy walked her to the door, which is like so many things. Why even lie about it? Another
2: thing. Yeah. So
1: like I had said, phone records show that Pam had called Betsy's phone at 7.27 PM and that she was still pretty much in Betsy's neighborhood at that time. When she was asked about this, she told police that she was calling Betsy to tell her that she was home, or wait, I mean, home free. She went on to explain this by saying that she was not familiar with Troy or Betsy's neighborhood. So once she got to the highway, she knew how to get home from there and she was just letting Betsy know how she made it. Like, she made it to the highway.
2: Okay. <laughs> hey, Pam. So um, the, the whole thing that they were saying about Russ's, like, stops at different places were just an elaborate way to like come up with an alibi. I'm like,
1: then you got this lady who was in the neighborhood seven minutes after Betsy was estimated to have passed away. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. So sloppy. Mm -hmm. So Betsy obviously didn't answer the call, but when she still hadn't heard from her, Pam got a bad feeling. So she called Janet worried that Betsy was mad at her for not waiting in the home with her until Russ got there or for showing up at the chemo appointment, depending on which story.
2: Mm-hmm. <sighs> She's... Once again, multiple stories. Right. Wow.
1: So Janet assured her that she was just tired from her chemo and was probably just asleep. Still, Janet attempted to call Betsy to check on her, but once again, Betsy did not answer the call.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Pam's husband said that she was out of the house all night, but that she had called him to let him know that they were at Betsy's. But Mark hadn't answered because he'd left his phone in the truck. Pam all but shushed her husband into silence and did the rest of the talking. Pam Mm. was also asked about Russ. She started out by saying that she didn't know Russ at all, but then went on to weave some tales about how scary and degrading of a husband Russ was. She was the one who told investigators about Russ putting a pillow over Betsy's face to show her what it feels like to die. She told investigators that Betsy had confessed to this happening in an email that she had sent to Pam, But then she said, oh, wait, it wasn't an email. It was a document. So that actually will come up.
2: uh, Okay. (laughs) Email versus
1: document will come up.
2: Okay. That's sure. Okay.
1: It's important to note that none of Pam's things were tested for DNA. So her car, the clothes that she had worn the night of Betsy's murder, they didn't check under her fingernails. None of it. Hmm. All of it was left out of the investigation. So nobody knows if there was blood evidence on her. She had initially agreed to take a polygraph test, but then later came back with a doctor's note stating that she couldn't because of health reasons. When her doctor was asked about Pam's condition that disqualified her from taking the polygraph, the doctor basically said that she didn't have a medical condition that would prevent her from taking part in a polygraph. Pam had just handwritten a note to her doctor and had asked for the doctor to then write her a note excusing her from the polygraph. And so the doctor did. Pam denied ever writing this note requesting for the doctor's sign-off, even though the defense had a physical copy of the note that Pam had definitely written in their file.
2: Wow. Just straight up lying and wow. Yeah. Okay. Hmm.
1: When they saw that Betsy had changed the life insurance beneficiary to Pam just four days Mm -hmm. before being brutally murdered and the fact that Pam had taken Betsy home to an empty house on that night when her husband was not home, and that she was with Betsy at the estimated time of her death, one would surmise that Pam would be suspect number one. Yes. But as we know, that would not be the case. Hmm. As we've seen, as soon as investigators decided that Russ was the killer, they preferred to bend and twist evidence and make up insane stories of potential timelines instead of conducting a thorough investigation of the most likely suspect in the whole ordeal. Right. The day after Betsy's murder, the life insurance policy change of beneficiary form had arrived at State Farm after she had died. This isn't totally unheard of. But it's definitely not the norm. And so because it's pretty rare, it's kind of up to the discretion of the like individual insurance agent, whether or not they're going to accept the change of policy. Mm-hmm. But sadly, in this case, it was accepted. Wow. Pam was advised, she was given the money, and then was advised in July of 2013 by one of the Lincoln County investigators to set up a trust fund for Betsy's daughters with the insurance payout that she'd received. Yeah. Because it would look weird if she didn't. Duh. That, But the investigator told her to do that because it would look weird if you don't, like leading up to the trial, up to Russ's trial.
0: Oh, Which wow. Which feels
1: like, are you qualified to give legal advice?
2: Yeah. To be fair, I mean, it's also just factual. Like there's there's a point where, yeah, that's a little bit shady, but it's also just like a fact. And it's good that it was set up. Mm. In the end, hopefully. Mm. Oh, well, okay. Mm. <laughs> okay. We're going to find out more. Okay. So
1: she did set up the trust. She said that first she gave $50,000 to another friend's daughter. The mother what? had recently died from breast cancer as well, but there's no proof of this. Um, other accounts say that she had donated $50,000 to like the Breast Cancer Foundation or Association or whatever that provides research mm-hmm. into breast cancer. I have not seen any evidence of that the other one hundred thousand dollars was put in a trust for the girls but it was put in a revocable trust as soon as russ's trial was done pam revoked the trust and pocketed the money
2: wow Mm -hmm. oh my gosh are you serious
1: i am deadly serious When she was asked why she had waited so long to set up the trust, Pam said that her mom had died of Alzheimer's in October, and so that that was kind of like taking up most of her time and focus.
2: (laughs) Not a reason.
1: After the trial ended, Schwartz received emails that Pam, uh, her mother Shirley Newman, had not died of Alzheimer's. It was learned that Shirley, who did have signs of dementia, had fallen to her death from her third-story apartment at her assisted living community. She was found with eight times the regular dosage of Ambien in her system and the metal railing on her balcony was bent outwards, two of the rails laying next to her body when she was found in her pajamas on the lawn. It made no actual sense because it would take a lot of force, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of force to create that kind of damage to the railing. In late October, Pam had taken Shirley to the doctor for back pain. Shirley spent the night with Pam that night. According to Pam, she brought her mother back around 5 p.m. the following day and told the staff that she would not be there for dinner that night or breakfast the following morning, but that she should be ready to be at lunch on the following day. If she wasn't present at lunch, please check on her and let us know how she's doing. When Shirley didn't show up for lunch, a housekeeper went in to check on her, and that's when she discovered that Shirley had suffered a terrible fall that ultimately killed her.
2: Okay, that's... That's a very oddly specific thing to say, hey, I'm dropping my mom back off at the assisted living home, but she's not going to eat two straight meals Mm. just (laughs) because. And then if she doesn't make it to the third meal, I guess you can check on her then. Right. Right out of the gate. I'm like, this is way too coincidental. (laughs) Right.
1: So it is possible with her dementia that she had accidentally forgotten that she had taken the Ambien and so maybe took several more. That caused her to fall into some sort of like stupor that caused her to fall to her death. But with what we know about Pam and what we have yet to learn about her, I'm going to go ahead and doubt it. Yeah. Pam told Chris Hayes, that reporter, that her mom may have committed suicide because the assisted living facility was just too expensive. Initially, her cause of death was listed as an accident, but would later on be changed to unknown. From what I could find, Shirley's death hasn't been fully investigated, but I hope that they get to the bottom of what like what really happened. Mm -hmm. As an added sidebar, according to Jen America, Pamela Hupp received an insurance payout after her mother's death for three thousand five hundred and eighty nine dollars and two cents. Because the policy that her mother had taken out, we'll get into that in a minute and I'll explain it. But basically it was set up for funeral purposes.
2: Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: So. When she was talking about all of this with investigators and with lawyers and stuff, she said that she didn't have health insurance for herself because she, quote, didn't believe in it, end quote. Hmm. But she did have it for her husband and her son. She went on to say that she would never kill Betsy for life insurance. It would be much easier to just kill her husband or her mother, who had a policy of almost $500,000. It would be easier and a better payout anyways. Her mother was still alive when she had made that statement, just as a side note.
2: And then her mom went and changed her policy immediately. (laughs) Yeah. That's like.
1: (laughs) So the way that it was set up, Pam didn't know this, but the way that it was set up was that there was very specific funeral arrangements that Mm -hmm. she had and like burial arrangements and things like that. And she had split the remaining many between her four living children.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: So all of them got a very small cut of what was left after the funeral was paid for.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And all of that.
1: And I think that there were like other wishes that she had, like this money should go to this
2: church or whatever. So anyway, that's fairly common. It's not
1: uncommon at all. Yeah. Yeah. So most of this was either said directly to investigators or in court. And anytime Pam would get caught in a lie or would change her story, she'd blame her many, many injuries for her memory problem. Or the prosecution would just object to the questioning, stating that the defense was just trying to impeach her and shift blame onto her. Yeah. And the judge agreed.
2: So, okay, this is where it gets confusing for me because one of the like goals of a defense in and, I guess, also a prosecution in a court is to essentially discredit a witness. Right. And so when they say... Like, no, you can't ask them that question because you're trying to discredit our witness. It's like, well, yeah. Right. It, <laughs> so I'm really confused how that all played out. It just, it sounds like, and and once again, uh, I think I said this either earlier this episode or last episode. Um, but like, I am not an expert on uh, court legal court proceedings. Yeah. But this just seems very kind of like haphazard yes like not a well-ordered uh courtroom and whoever this judge is is we'll talk about the judge okay 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 fear not okay i'll just leave my opinions to myself then until we get there
1: (laughs) no you're good you're good you can always give opinions but in 2014 an appeal was filed in russ's case but was denied (sighs) schwartz then filed what's called a mooney motion Hmm. A Mooney motion can be filed when new evidence that can negate a previous guilty verdict has been discovered. Hmm. During the summer of 2015, Schwartz received an anonymous disc from someone at Leah Askey Cheney's office, the prosecuting attorney. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the disc were 132 crime scene photos, photos that Lincoln County had claimed never developed. The
2: pictures. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! So
1: in the photos, it showed almost no blood evidence where they claimed there had been tons, mm-hmm. and the rest of the photos showed a slight glow, but it was so faint that it could have been just the luminol reacting to other, like older fluids on the floor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The photos clearly demonstrated pretty much the exact opposite of what investigators had testified to witnessing in the Faria home. Yeah, like on the stand, they said this stuff. Wow. Schwartz also received a printed email between Leah Aske Cheney and Mike Lang, the head of investigation in Lincoln County at the time of Russ's trial. In it, it was made plainly obvious that the two were having an affair. What? Mike had written, quote, this is not a puppy dog crush on the hot girl in high school kind of love. This is an epic blank stories are written about kind of love. End quote.
2: He also wrote,
1: I will do my best to be everything you need, like
2: forge
1: evidence, lie on the stand, like you'll do anything.
2: I am flabbergasted at how many twists are in this story, not because of the twists themselves, but like you're just, we're just, we're learning not just like crazy stories of people jumping to conclusions and lying for self-preservation but like like an affair that would lead somebody to like this is the stuff that movies are made out of
1: if they put it in a movie it wouldn't be believable that's crazy oh my gosh so asky cheney reportedly claimed that the email was fake and that there was no affair but declined to comment any further and mike lang never commented either Schwartz received one more thing: a video of an interview of Pam. In the video, she said that she and Betsy had been lovers. This is a new development. What? I'm not even done, dude. You're not even going to know what to People, do with this whole story. Let me, let me, let me keep going. Oh. Despite the fact that neither woman was gay, the trauma Betsy had endured with her cancer diagnosis, coupled with the extreme abuse from her husband, just sort of led Betsy to want romance. And Pam, old sport that she is, decided to go for it. Quote, it was a small thing to give her, end quote, is what Pam said about it. The detective conducting the interview commended Pam for being such a great problem solver. Wow. An anonymous source who had been a longtime friend of Pam called her, quote, the most homophobic person I have ever met, end quote. (laughs) So I'm just going to throw that out there. The likelihood of that being true is so extremely low. Wow.
2: Anybody who is listening to this right now, if you are not just like... like
1: Jaw to the floor in disgust.
2: and at your wit's end over the conglomeration of all of these things so far, I'm... I have yet to be, like, there's been stories that you've told that I've been, like, shocked and, like, kind of blown away. I I don't even know what this feeling is. I'm very, It's like, unbelievable. Are, once again. Words fall short. Yes. Like you said, if this was in a movie, people would say, okay, chill out. There's Super way too much going on here. This is <laughs> yeah. so unrealistic. And this is real life. All these things are, even if they didn't actually happen, these things are being said happened. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Yep. She said that
1: on the night of Betsy's murder, Betsy had planned on telling Russ about the affair. She also alleged that another time, Russ had walked in on Betsy and Pam being intimate. He then flew into a fury, grabbed Pam by her neck, and threw her against the wall. He then screamed at her, quote, if I ever catch you guys doing this again, I will bury you in my backyard, end quote. Wow. Miraculously, Pam had recovered another long forgotten memory shortly before Russ's trial. She had, in fact, seen Russ at the house. She said that she saw him pulling into the neighborhood as she was pulling out. He was driving the silver car, except he wasn't, according to facts. But yeah, she said she saw him driving the silver Nissan, but he wasn't.
2: Wow. There's literally
1: no proof that the car moved.
2: So she has no idea what she's saying. She's just throwing spaghetti at the wall.
1: Totally. Two weeks before Russ's second trial, Schwartz was told to search Betsy's computer for the document that Pam had mentioned. Mm. Turns out a portion of the letter had been written from a computer with Windows 97, a program not on Betsy's laptop. Mm. The rest was written from the Wi-Fi at the tennis club on the day that Pam had been there watching Betsy play tennis. Microsoft Outlook had also been in use at that same time that the letter was being written, which was odd because Betsy didn't use Outlook. There were also cookies that showed someone had searched for Betsy's signature on the laptop, but hadn't found it. So the document had never been emailed to anyone, but it was on Betsy's computer. Yeah. So how would Pam know about this document if she never received it? Yeah. The letter read, quote, I know we talked about this yesterday, but I feel I really need you to believe me. I really do feel that Russ is going to do something to me. He continued to tell me how much money he would make after I die. Last night was the worst. I fell asleep on the couch while watching TV. I woke up to Russ holding a pillow over my face. He said that he wanted me to know what dying feels like. I need to change my life insurance. Do you think I could put it in your name and you could help my daughters when they need it? If something happens to me, would you please show this to police? End quote.
2: That is so ridiculously on the nose that it should be immediately suspicious.
1: Well, and Pam had thrown out her computer because she said that people were sending her mean messages. But from what I could find, they were never able to see if Microsoft 97 was on her computer.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But it appeared as though it was one of those things where she's sitting there watching Betsy play tennis and is like, Hey, can I check my email on your computer? Right. What's your password? Right. And then got in and wrote the letter.
2: Yeah. Dug around,
1: opened a partially written letter from 97 from her outlook. Yeah. And then just finished it on Betsy's computer and didn't have time to send it to herself for whatever reason. Yeah. So that was the, that's like most people's best like guess of how that played out. But like, yikes. Also
2: for somebody who's been accused of forgery, To uh, have a search for someone's digital signature, right? That's like well, it's
1: obvious Betsy didn't look it up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, why would she need to? Well,
1: she was playing tennis at the time that
2: that too search was made. Also, like there's once again,
1: like with Russ, not only did he not, but he couldn't
2: have. Right. Not
1: only did she not, but she couldn't have.
2: There's the the evidence itself is already lending to like someone being very untrustworthy oh yeah at best yeah and to be fair like that's what they did with russ that's mm-hmm. what they they took they took all of the evidence but the thing is they ignored like just the basic like um what's the most they ignored this question what is the most likely scenario mm-hmm. and the most likely scenario in russ's case is that he took a Trip that looked exactly like he said. The most likely scenario in the case, we'll just say just with a computer, is that somebody other than Betsy was using it. Mm -hmm. That's pretty bonkers, honestly.
1: It is. Hmm. In November of 2015, Russ's second trial began. This time there was no jury, just a judge who would conduct the trial. They also had guests in attendance. So Askee Cheney had motioned for all evidence involving Pam Hupp as being disqualified from evidence.
2: No. But
1: the new judge, circuit court judge Stephen Omer, said the evidence would be allowed. I'm not going to go into much detail here. But it was very evident to the judge and most of the people in attendance that the investigation on the first trial was so badly mishandled and that there was quite literally no evidence that Russ Faria had killed his wife. Judge Omer very quickly reached his verdict. Acquittal. Russ was a free man. Wow. So the next step was to try and figure out who actually did this.
2: Yes, that is what they should have done in the first place. Yeah, years ago.
1: He was in prison for almost four years. Oh, just as an wow. important note, yeah. he served four years for a Man. crime he did not commit, yeah. a terrible crime he did not commit. Interestingly, Pam would not fall under police investigation until nine months later. On August 16th, 2016, there was an article that read, quote, Pamela Hupp shoots, comma, kills home intruder. Hmm. End quote. This was a headline in a news wow. article. During the ordeal... Pam had made a call to 911. In the call, Pam could be heard screaming, no, get out, get out, while the operator tried to keep her calm and get the address of the emergency. She repeatedly asked for help and then suddenly the operator heard five gunshots ring out. According to Pam, the man that she had shot and killed had been dropped off by an unidentified driver in a silver car. The man then attacked her in the car in the driveway, demanding that she give him Russ's money while holding a knife to her throat. She knocked the knife out of his hand and ran inside, leaving the door unlocked and grabbed her gun. She said that the man then came into her home. She told him to get away before firing her gun until there were no more bullets left. This man was found with $900 double-wrapped in plastic baggies in his pocket, along with a note that said to kill Pamela Hupp to get Russ's money and leave it in the wood pile behind Russ's home. When Russ was later informed of this, it immediately made no sense. He did not have a wood pile behind his house, but his father did. Lo and behold, when they checked neighbor's security cameras, there was Pam Hupp on the footage, Driving past Russ's father's home and obviously scoping it out.
2: Wow! So she
1: was trying to frame Russ and an unknown accomplice in trying to kill her for money. What? Yeah.
2: Who's this other guy?
1: You'll. I'll tell. Right now, I'm going to tell you. So the man who was the alleged intruder was 33 year old Louis Gumpenberger. In his youth, Louis had a bit of a wild streak. But he had suffered a serious car accident in 2005 that left him with severe brain trauma, which made it very difficult for Lewis to process complex thought, as well as he had physical disabilities, such as Hmm. a limp and paralysis in his left hand. Hmm. Lewis was left in his mother's care, only venturing out of the house on his own for short walks around his neighborhood in St. Charles. Interestingly enough, Pam's cell phone pinged in the St. Charles neighborhood less than 45 minutes before she made the 911 call.
0: Oh. His
1: mother would say that everything Pam had said would have been next to physically impossible for Lewis to have done in his mental and physical state. Wow. In another bizarre turn of events... On August 10th, just six days before the incident with Lewis Gumpenberger, a woman in St. Charles by the name of Carol McAfee filed a police report. She said that a blonde woman in a silver SUV with Missouri license plates approached her as she was outside on her porch with her dog. The woman introduced herself as Kathy, a Dateline producer from Chicago. Dateline, at this point, had done three specials about Betsy's case Mm -hmm. and had planned to do several more. And this was kind of like public knowledge. Sure. So people in the area would have been at least somewhat familiar with some presence of Dateline producers. Yeah. The driver then offered $1,000 to Carol if she would reenact a 911 call scenario for an upcoming production of the show. The money would also be under the table, according to this Kathy person from Dateline, with no camera crew no business card or markings on the vehicle, et cetera.
2: That is definitely right out of the gate sketchy. Carol
1: thought this was
2: very weird and her
1: suspicion was only amplified when she was told that if she agreed to come and do this cool thing for $1,000, she couldn't bring her keys, wallet, cell phone, or cigarettes. Recognizing this as dangerous and being very convinced that if she declined this offer, that this woman was going to go do whatever sinister thing that she was planning to do, she would go and do it to someone else. Mm -hmm. Carol decided, okay, I'm going to go along with this. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I do not recommend that anyone ever does anything like this. But in this story, it would turn out to be not the right thing. I don't know exactly what to say.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I'm
1: glad that Carol did this in this scenario. I feel like that's fair. Yeah. Before getting into the car, Carol brought her dog into the house, slipped a pocket knife up her sleeve, and dialed 911 on her cell that she kept hidden, waiting to hit send on the call if things got bad. Hmm. As they drove out of the neighborhood, Carol asked where they were going to record the soundbite. The woman gave her a location that Carol quickly recognized as a location that did not exist.
0: Oh, it was like
1: a field behind shops. Carol decided, okay, this has gone on too long and that she needed to get out of the situation as quickly as possible. So she told the driver that, hey, look, I'm barefoot, which was true. So she's like, "Okay, we need to go home and get my shoes. The driver played it off, saying, you don't need shoes. This whole thing's going to be quick anyways. So after some convincing, they did turn around and go back to Carol's house. She ran inside and then came back out, telling the driver that now she couldn't come because she had to go pick up her son. The Hmm. woman then got out of the car and insisted, you really just need to come with me really fast. Like, this is a great opportunity for you. Don't blow this. But that's when she noticed something. Security cameras mounted on Carol's home. She quickly jumped back into her car saying, oh, you have security cameras? To which Carol replied responded, quote, yes, and I have a knife in my pocket and I'm calling 911, end quote.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: The driver, who was later identified obviously as Pam Hupp, sped away.
2: Wow. So, Carol was smart. She got
1: the license plate and a very clear description of the car and the woman driving the car all on her security footage. Wow. Smart lady. Yeah. So, with this shocking revelation, investigators in St. Charles County theorized that Pam was planning to do to Carol what she had done to Lewis Gumpenberger and vice versa. Yeah. That that was the plan all along to frame, to trick somebody.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And then frame them for trying to attack her for Russ's money, wow. to implicate Russ in yeah. a, like a hitman gone wrong kind all of right. situation.
2: Where somehow Pam is standing up for herself and totally like a
1: stand your ground
2: kind st- of moment stand your ground but also like fighting off two hitmen. like right if that's what she, i mean i guess i don't know what she was going to say the woman was doing but there's not really a whole lot of other options like she's inevitably going to try to say another woman came after me and i'm a hero <laughs> <laughs> who took out two hitmen in the same chunk of time right like there's there's a degree of Absolute delusion happening, also. Oh, yeah. This is like, wow. Okay. Keep going because I'm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Investigators in St. Charles County worked hard to build a case against Pam. Because these guys were actually competent and committed to their work, the investigation in St. Charles was much more thorough and focused Mm -hmm. than the investigation in Lincoln County had been. A few things they quickly pieced together along with what they already had included the knife that Lewis had allegedly attacked her with. A knife that she was seen on camera at a store purchasing in the days leading up to Lewis's death. Wow. There were baggies in her home that were the exact match to the ones in Lewis's pocket. Her handwriting was matched to the handwriting on the note (sighs) in his pocket. They discovered that the nine $100 bills in Lewis's pocket matched the sequence of serial numbers on $100 bills in Pam Hupp's possession.
2: Wow. And they
1: found two bags, like garbage bags, that Mark and Pam had put in their vehicle the day after the shooting. In the bags were changes of clothes, along with a copy of Betsy's death certificate, a federal tax 1099 form with Betsy listed as the recipient, transcripts of Pam's testimony at Russ's trial, bank statements, a note from an individual who had had an affair with Mark, legal and banking information for Pam's mother, Shirley, and then some other odds and ends. They also learned that the Hubs had transferred almost $123,000 to their son, Travis, in the event that their bank accounts were frozen. So a lot of strange miscellaneous items. One other very haunting piece of evidence is surveillance footage of Pamela Hupp driving towards her neighborhood with a young man matching Lewis Gumpenberger's physical description in the front seat with her, unknowingly being driven to his untimely and unfair death.
2: Wow. This she literally kidnapped is...
1: a disabled man. Wow. And murdered him. Yeah. Disgusting. I can't even... If you, When you say sometimes... I like to be long winded, but other times when you say something just as plainly as you can, mm-hmm. it just really hits you in the gut yeah. in a different way. She literally kidnapped an a disabled man Jeez. for the purpose of murdering him.
2: Yeah. For
1: for no for, reason.
2: For a completely selfish reason, which is yeah. to cover her own tracks. Even worse. Which yeah.
1: So finally, a week after Lewis Gumpenberger was killed, Pamela Hupp was arrested a block away from her home. When she was brought in for initial processing, she was read her Miranda rights and was asked to sign a form stating that she understood those rights. She asked if the officer in the room uh, could go call her lawyers for her real quick. Shortly after he left the room, Pam was observed standing by the door in the room that she was in saying that she needed to go to the bathroom. A female officer escorted her to the bathroom and waited outside for her to finish doing her business. When the officer went to check on her, she made a shocking discovery.
2: No way.
1: She opened the bathroom door to find a blood splattered room and Pam on the floor. She had stolen the pen that she had used to sign the forms when the officers were out of the room and hid it, like hidden it in her pants. She then went to the bathroom and proceeded to stab herself in the arms and in the neck repeatedly. Luckily, she was alive, but wow. she did need surgery on her wounds. Wow. So when they asked her why she did it, Pam said she didn't know why and that she did not want to die. What? But I mean, you just made yourself look way more guilty that oh, you my got gosh. caught. And now you're attempting to stab yourself in like major arteries. Yeah. Which are shockingly similar wounds to Betsy's. If yeah. You're just if you want to throw mm-hmm. that out
2: there. Yeah, that's.
1: She had wounds to her arms, wrists, neck. Wow.
2: Bro, well, and face. On, at some point, like, it's just easier to say, "Oh yeah, I'm totally guilty." <laughs> like, she literally went to kill herself to get out of trouble. Failed at that, and then was like, thinking maybe if I play this off, I will just get out of it.
1: Like, well, I don't want to die. You know what? Neither did Lewis and neither did Betsy. And neither did Shirley, if we're going to throw that
2: out there. Yes.
1: Little did Pam know, the prosecuting attorney, Tim Lomar, was in fact seeking the death penalty in this case, citing aggravating factors that rendered this crime, especially heinous and inhumane, lacking in humanity. Mm. Once it was learned that the death penalty was on the table, Pam entered an Alford plea. Which essentially means that a defendant will concede that there is enough evidence against them to be found guilty, but they aren't officially pleading guilty. They're not huh. saying they didn't, that they did do it, but they are saying, I'm acknowledging formally that there is enough evidence to get a conviction.
2: Interesting. So it's, it's pleading the fifth, but...
1: No, so what she was doing was in exchange for... Agreeing to the Alfred plea, mm-hmm. she would get the death penalty taken off the table. So, in a way, everybody's kind of getting what they want. Oh, I
2: see. Okay. Where the death
1: penalty is off the table. Yeah. And she's essentially pleading guilty without formally pleading guilty.
2: Right. She's going to go through the whole process of being tried in court.
1: It did save a lot of time mm-hmm. when they brought her in and how did you plead? Because they're not trying to prove guilt. Yeah. Now they're just
2: they're just establishing the story, yeah.
1: demonstrating what had happened, and then they can hmm. move on to sentencing. Yeah. So and it did keep Pam out of death row. So finally, in June of 2019, 2019.
2: Oh, this is very, recent. very, very
1: recent. Wow. Pam pled guilty to first degree murder under the terms of the Alford plea. And on August 12th, 2019, she was given her life sentence without the possibility of parole. Wow. Interestingly, the key witness in Lewis's case was in the room front and center. Miss Carol McAfee, seated right next to Russ Faria. Poetic wow. justice. Yeah. I guess I didn't write this down, but <laughs> Carol like was sitting sort of behind Pam. Uh-huh. And she leaned in and was like, you're here because of me, B word.
2: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: And so Pam was like, that's not nice. Like, somebody move her. And so they went to escort carol to a different area but she's like i'm a key witness and i'm staying right here so she yeah. kept her seat
2: Wow. <laughs> so carol
1: sounds really cool yeah.
2: <laughs> carol knows that's like that. true
1: stand your ground moment
2: yeah wow
1: yeah so pam attempted to withdraw her plea in 2020 but was denied her now ex-husband mark filed for divorce and quickly remarried Many mm. of her family members believe a head injury that she had suffered in 2009 was the root cause of this whole awful story. Mm. They noted a change in behavior and disposition after the injury with Pam behaving in extremely erratic ways from attempting to poison neighbor's dogs to peeping into windows at night to starting fights and so on.
0: She also struggled
1: with memory and all that kind of stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So many other people are not convinced Schwartz and his team being among the doubters. So they believe Pam's behavior comes from a calculated self-serving criminal mind. Because there hasn't been a conviction in Betsy's case yet, we are left only to theorize and piece together what we believe would be a reasonable timeline of events.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So Schwartz is in the camp that Pam led Betsy into her home and that she then, either alone or with the help of an accomplice, stabbed Betsy repeatedly, securing herself the life insurance payout. This is obviously just a loose theory at this point, but many believe it's an extremely logical one. Yeah. As far as the money goes, Betsy's daughters sued Pam for the money in 2014, but since life insurance policies are pretty final, from what I could find, they have not seen a penny of it.
2: That is awful.
1: If there's an update on that that I missed and a listener knows that, please let me know, because I want to make sure that I do have that information if it's out there. Yeah. But I could not find any updates on that. Mm -hmm. So, Betsy's case was featured on several episodes of Dateline, earning some of the highest ratings in the show's history, only behind Dateline's coverage of O.J. Simpson and uh, JonBenet Ramsey. Wow. Keith Morrison, a Dateline favorite, also put out a podcast called The Thing About Pam. And NBC went on to produce a limited series with the same name that was released just last in 2022, last year. Oh, wow. Okay. With stars like Renee Zellweger as Pam and Judy Greer as Leah Askey Cheney, bringing the story to life in a different way. Hmm. Lewis Gumpenberger's mother sued Pamela Hupp in a wrongful death suit for her son, seeking $3 million in damages. Wow. While she acknowledges that Pam has no money, this suit would essentially guarantee that Pam couldn't profit off of any book or movie deal about her life mm-hmm. and that any money she made would be awarded to Lewis's family.
2: Yes, that so, is incredible. Which is so well deserved. Totally.
1: As far as Russ goes, he ultimately sued Leah Askey Chaney and Lincoln County investigators. And in 2020, he won his lawsuit and was awarded $2 million in settlements. Wow.
2: Oh, man.
1: Yeah. So while none of the parties involved admitted to or apologized for any of their wrongdoings, they did agree to the settlement. And that was that. Hmm. So, side note if you feel like getting extremely annoyed and angry, go watch recent interviews with Leah Cheney on YouTube. Okay. Because she literally does not see anything wrong with how she handled things, how she conducted herself. Um, and essentially views herself like she said something like, you don't know how hard it's been for me with people being Oof. mad at me and people thinking I'm some villain. It's like, if you don't want people to think that you're a villain, don't do villainy things. Right.
2: On public record. Right. It, like In a
1: major case.
2: Well, and it, here's the thing. I, I have stood on this uh, soapbox several times. I'm here. I'm even, listening. And even more beyond this podcast. There are people who are, like, at best, just really bad at their jobs. Right. And at worst, conniving. Right. And evil and intentionally choosing to do the wrong thing. Both of those are bad. Yeah. Neither of those are a good option. Right. And it sounds to me like those are the only options available for someone who would go to such a degree in the initial court case. Mm -hmm. That's totally my opinion. And I am aware of that, but I will stand by that, that there are people who have jobs that they are
1: just not, just not be doing (laughs) in
2: one way or another.
1: Right. So the judge at Russ's first trial, judge Christina Menemeyer, was suspended without pay after it was revealed that there was reason to believe that there was deliberate mishandling and undue delays of cases.
2: What? And
1: that's not even including her work in Russ's case. What? There were like, I can't remember the exact amount, but handfuls of cases where they believe that she deliberately stalled um, hearings and people served more time in jail than they were supposed to. Oh my god! Because of that. And like some of them weren't granted from... From what I understand, it sounds as though some of them weren't even given time served based on what I understand. I could be wrong on that. But, yeah, so she was removed, suspended without pay. Yeah. And she was unseated in 2018. Wow. From what I could find, it does not appear that she still practices any form of law and is not currently a judge anywhere.
2: Well, yeah, I would hope not. Good grief. Yeah. That's uh, my my soapbox. Sustains. Once again,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember how Russ was at Pam's sentencing, sitting next to Carol McAfee?
2: hmm
1: Well, those two would hit it off, and they ended up getting married.
2: Oh, well, I mean, they share a common enemy, so it makes sense. They
1: bonded <laughs> and supported each other yeah. and cared about each other. So Carol said of the whole story, quote, When Betsy was murdered, that was his wife. That doesn't stop because she was murdered. I know part of his heart is always going to be with her. I have to respect that because if he didn't still love her, if he didn't still think about her, if he didn't miss her, I'd have to question his integrity. And if I wasn't okay with that, I'd have to question my own. Hmm. End quote. Wow. Which is, Carol That's, sounds awesome.
2: That is a very... That's uh, a cool lady. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very uh, self-aware person too. Mm-hmm. Which and is,
1: compassionate.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Though he has limited or no contact with much of Betsy's family due to the massive strain of the last 10 plus years, sure. he wishes them well and hopes right along with them that justice will be served for Betsy and that her family and all of the many people who love her so deeply will get some peace and closure in the years to come. For today's story, there are a ton of really great resources if anyone wants to learn more. There are lots of incredible articles, documentaries, and then the podcast that I mentioned, which Mm -hmm. I'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. I haven't watched the NBC miniseries, The Thing About Pam, but it's still a relatively new release if anyone wants to check that out. Hmm. I got most of my information for today's story from Bone Deep by Charles Bosworth Jr. and Joel Schwartz. And I highly recommend that you pick up a copy and read it. It goes into depth into like every single element of this entire story. It's well worth your time. And that is what I have for you this week.
2: Wow, that...
1: Unbelievable. That is oh, I did forget to say that yeah. Russ also is working alongside of the Midwest Innocence Project, which seeks mm. to get people that were wrongfully convicted, get their sentences overturned. Yeah. So that is a really great thing that I'll make sure to link in the show notes as well. Yeah. The Midwest Innocence Project.
2: That is really cool. Yes. But yeah. Wow. It's an
1: unbelievable story. It's so mind-blowing... So shocking. Yeah. And it's like, there's no, it feels impossible to have happened the way that it did. And I didn't even, obviously didn't even include everything that there was to include. Right. Because this would be a 14 hour episode if I did.
2: <laughs> yeah. There, there's so many. Days well, like, like of you said, testimony. Yeah. All and these interviews. There's enough for there to be this many different uh, expressions of the story. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty wild.
1: Well, and they're, they are looking into Betsy's case and from, according to this book that was pretty recently published, um, they're, they've already pulled over seven boxes out of storage and they're looking into it like now. Hmm. So I hope that that's still the case and that they're going to, even though she's in prison for the rest of her life, I sincerely hope that she has to answer for what she did to Betsy's family. Yeah. They deserve to know and they deserve to hear it from her.
2: Yeah. She
1: needs to tell them what she did and why. What does she have to gain or lose now if she doesn't? Well, her integrity has gone.
2: Yeah. And the question of why I feel like is so crucial at this point because. Was it really just for money? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and why target her? She was a friend to you. Right. So she was kind to you. There's a lot of why around that. And mm-hmm. even if let's just, let's just entertain the thought, even if it is stemmed from a head injury years before,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, you still have to have like some kind of a cognizant thought throughout that. Like at the very least, I didn't want to do it, but my brain and my body were doing two different things. I would still call BS on that
1: (laughs) In this case
2: In this case But at the very least Like some kind of a.
1: am kind of In the middle on that I think that Her brain injury Because like She did need surgery On her neck Like her back And stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, And there were Notable Differences In her Abilities But she was still At the same time Smart And when she was On the right combination Of medications She was Pretty normal it mm. was when she would take too much of one thing or take not enough of another or it was a bad combo that she would say and do erratic yeah. things. And sure. so I think that's why Joel Schwartz and others who don't think that it ultimately is a result of a traumatic brain injury, they more think this is a calculated criminal mind. I'm kind of in the middle
2: mm-hmm. where I think sure. that
1: both can be true or yeah. like she may have already had she may have had this traumatic brain injury and it was just accentuated by the fact that she was a self-serving monster who would not, who would not hesitate to hurt someone else for the sake of gain. Wow. That's my opinion. Yeah. I'm not a
2: professional. Sure. Sure. Well, thank you to our listeners, uh, for hearing this bonker story, (laughs) unusual, unsettling and unsavory in every way. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure that you are subscribed on your favorite listening platform and that you leave a glowing five-star review on that platform and on every other platform because that helps other people find this podcast to listen to similar kinds of stories. Also make sure that you follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and TikTok at this one is a doozy. And on Facebook, this one's a doozy podcast. You can also email us at this one is a doozy at gmail.com with any feedback or suggestions. And lastly, you can connect with us on Patreon. My love, how can they connect with us and why?
1: So you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or in our Facebook About section, or you can go to the Patreon app or the Patreon website, and for $5 a month, you can support what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Um, All subscribers on Patreon get access to polls where you can vote on episode topics, and you can help us decide on which monthly charity that we'll be donating to, as well as getting to listen to episodes ad-free.
2: Yep. Yep. Wow. Well, thank you so much for listening and we will see you on the next episode for another doozy.
1: Thanks. Bye guys.